I am so excited today. Welcome to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Well, Pastor, why are you so excited? Because as soon as I finish Morning Devotions, I get in the car, run over to South Campus, and that big parking lot is going to become an auditorium. Remember, you can't leave your car. Don't, don't forget, did I say you cannot leave your car? Yes, that's right. You cannot get out of your car. Okay, we keep making it clear. It's just going to be a one-hour service, but it's just the beginning. We'll do it again tomorrow morning at 7.30. We've got the FM transmitter set up. You don't need to roll down your windows or anything. Just turn on your FM radio. We have a small small throw shortwave transmitter that covers the parking lot, and we are just so, so, so excited. Now, eventually, the Sunday morning 7.30 will be swallowed up by regular services as soon as we get into modified general and we get into the 50% auditorium capacity. But I plan to keep this Saturday morning service for a while. How long? I don't know, as long as it's needed. I don't mind the extra work, but this is going to be a service for the old folks. This is going to be a service for people that have walked this journey with me for 40 years. This is going to be a service for those who have medical issues and they don't feel comfortable being around big crowds yet. I mean, we're not talking about giving into fear. We're talking about just people feeling comfortable why, why faith grows for their miracle. All right, so please, this is, this is a service that's set up the, our, our seniors, this is a service that is set up for people who have underlying medical issues and things. They've got lung issues, they've got high blood, they've got kidneys, you know, all the stuff with COVID-19. And you just sit in your car, drive up, we'll have the, the go truck set up, tied into an FM transmitter, and we'll just have a wonderful time together. Yes, it's not perfect. Yes, it's not the best. But it's a beginning. Father, <laughs> we are so grateful. So grateful for the opportunity to minister to your people. So grateful for the opportunity to, to preach your word to the people of God. Father, we are so grateful. Father, let this be a time and let miracles even happen as people sit in their cars today. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are a good God and your mercy endures forever. Father, I pray for those that are listening right now to morning devotions. Let healing flow. You are the healer, Lord. There's nothing too hard for you, and there's nothing too small for you to want to do. Lord, bring healing into their bodies. Let those fevers go. Let that little dry cough that's been making them nervous go. Let those kidneys begin to produce again, Lord. Let those lungs be clear. Let those pancreases produce proper levels of insulin. Let those knees be strong and whole. Let those cataracts dissolve. Lord, you are a God of miracles. Lord, do miracles today. Do signs and wonders. Do things that make people wonder. <laughs> and do it in a way, Lord, that you get the glory. Father, more than anything else, we come and thank you today. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your mercy. You have been good to us beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, we come and we bring our hearts to you upon our hands and we just say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for salvation. Oh, we come to say thank you, Lord, with hearts full of gratitude. Our heart is full, Lord. We just come and say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done in Jesus' name. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Oh, lovely is your dwelling. 
Every morning and every evening during this entire time. And, you know, in one sense, it seems like forever. But in another sense, all the days have kind of run together, Diva. Everything, our routines were all changed. And it's been hard to tell one day from another. God's promise has been a solid foundation. Psalms 91 has been a, a foundation of faith during this entire time. Now, we've got somebody who's going to recite Psalms 91 today that's a little scary. They're four years old. Brother John. Psalms 91, verse 1 to 16. My refuge and my fortress. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that waits at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion, and the other the young lion, and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Thank you. Okay, Jinri, I got to apologize because the video lineup I got from Brother Jong a little while ago said you're four years old. And you are obviously not four years old, so my deepest apology. You know what? Sometimes early in the morning, everybody makes some mistakes. So Brother Jong doesn't make very many of them, all right? But <laughs> I'm sorry if we embarrassed you. Brothers and sisters, God is good and his mercy endures forever. One of the beautiful things during all of this, and uh, you know, I think we're down right now to 13% as of my report uh, late last night. 
the rest of our members are either working from home or reporting to their office. We're only down to 13% of no work, no pay, and we only have a 1% layoff. So we want to keep praying for that 1%. We want everybody fully employed in Jesus' name, but it's so good to see our members getting back to work. Now, here's another testimony of God's goodness during COVID-19. Hello, CLP. This is Sister Lira Gadduke. And I'm Brother Jerry Gadduke from Asherin Ministry. I'm a GoConnect group leader and a Fire of Praise Choir member from South Campus. Our family are praising the Lord for an overwhelming blessings He has given us. We do not expect that in this crisis, we will receive a harvest from the vows we fulfilled, a new car from the family, and at the same time, an online business for me. We are praising God for His continuous provision despite this situation that we are facing. Truly, the Lord is faithful in every promises that He has declared. Um, we are praising God for the provision that He has given us, especially now na yung dorm, wala po kaming income kasi walang estudyante. And with that, we would like to share a verse to you that encourages us as a family. In Isaiah 60, verse 22, At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Amen. Thank you, COP. God bless. Amen. Known that family, oh my goodness, more years than we all want to remember. It's so wonderful to see God's goodness. I, I've been laughing at some of the, the Facebook posts, and I have been looking at Facebook a little bit more during this because it helps me monitor what everybody's going through. But I, I've been enjoying the jokes about um, the different responses of different nations to COVID-19. You know, this nation says, we're dying. Another nation says, we're gonna die. And another nation says, oh my. And, uh, in the Philippines, uh, hey, Brad, sis, uh, I I've got this for sale, this for sale, this for sale, and this for sale. It, it seems that COVID-19 has reawakened the entrepreneurship spirit in, in all the families. And so I'm proud of our people. We didn't bow, we didn't bend, and we didn't break. We just work stronger. God is good. All right, let's pick up today. I have to be careful with my time because I'm in service at 7.30 at South Campus, and I'm so excited. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. Now remember, they have healed the man at the gate beautiful. They had been brought before the chief priest and his whole family. Uh, they've been brought on trial. They've been told not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Now we pick up with verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. Now notice they, they didn't go hide. They went to their friends. You know, when you've been facing persecution, it's nice to have some friends. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, now just stop there for a minute. I want you to notice their response to persecution, their response to threats, was not to strategize how to fight or how to flee the fight-or-flight syndrome. It wasn't any of that strategy. Their response to persecution, their response to being ordered not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus, was to pray. And a very specific prayer, as you'll see, they prayed for boldness to keep doing what they were supposed to be doing. You see, as Christians, we don't have to react to what the world does to us, but we do have to keep doing the Great Commission. 
Now, now this, is, this is so simple that you can stumble over it and never see it. They did not respond with fight or flight. They simply responded in a prayer to say, God, help us keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is to preach the gospel. We don't need to react to these people. We don't need to retaliate against these people. We don't need to take in consideration what they've said. We just need boldness to do the Great Commission. Now, I like that, Christians. The truth is just so simple you can stumble over it. In the face of persecution, no response is necessary except keep doing the Great Commission. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Notice, Sovereign Lord. God, we know you're in charge. Not these people. You're in charge. And I see, that's, that's a statement of faith here. They knew that the chief priests were not in charge. God's in charge. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now notice, they understood the situation in light of the scripture. Now, again, this is the truth that's so simple you can fall over it and never see it, like a stone in the street. They did not respond by trying to understand the sociology and the psychology and the cross-cultural communication aspects. They understood it in light of the Scripture. This is what the Word says. Now, when you and I try to understand people on the basis of psychology and sociology and cross-cultural studies, I'm sorry, we're never going to understand people. We must understand people in light of the scriptures. Ah. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both David and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now again, here's that sovereignty thing again. God is sovereign. Nothing has happened that was not predestined by God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. No, don't not kill them, Lord. These same apostles who had before said, Lord, shall we call down lightning upon this, these villages? Now they pray differently. <laughs> they've learned, they've grown, they pray differently to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. In other words, hey, God, just we should keep preaching the gospel and we're asking that you keep healing. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now notice, there was not one Pentecostal experience that these people had. Here comes another Pentecostal experience. The place where they were staying was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, the reason some people can't preach the Word of God and they can't share the gospel, they can only share, please come to church, is because they need the Holy Ghost. You see, it's easy to invite people to an event, it's easy to invite people to a service, but to share the gospel with people takes boldness. And that boldness does not come from education. That boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. I, I, I couldn't say this to you strong enough. 
We think that, you know, I'm shy, kaya, you know, nahia ako, so I'm going to attend a seminar. No, knowledge does not remove insecurity. The source of boldness is the Holy Ghost. So if you're shy to share the gospel, may I just encourage you, get on your knees before God and ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon your life. <laughs> Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one had any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In other words, these people were very generous with each other. Now this was not a commune. This was not communal living. This was not a kibbutzim like in Israel today. This was, hey, let's, let's share with each other. If somebody's got a need, I got something, let's share. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many who were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what were sold, and it was laid at the apostles' feet. Now, let's just stop here and look at a couple of things. Great power, verse 33. Great grace, verse 33. And verse 32 and 34, great generosity. So three great character traits of a church filled with the Holy Ghost. Great power. Great grace, great generosity. Ah, that'll preach. That'll, I mean, that, that's a, there's a sermon right there. And it was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, remember, by Acts 6, we're getting into the situation of um, the apostles have too much distribution to do, and they say, listen, we can't be tied up with all this business stuff. We need to give ourselves fully to the Word of God and fully to the ministry of prayer. Now, they, but notice the giving. It has changed. In Acts 2.45, everybody gave to everybody that they wanted to. By Acts 4, verse 35, now they're bringing it, and it's laid at the apostles' feet, and the apostles handed the distribution. Why? I'm sure, knowing human nature, that the Christian crooks and the Christian con artists and the beggars and, you know, all these people came out that had nothing to do with, with the church. And the apostles knew who were really serving God. The apostles knew who was really a part of the church. Now, now this is why we get do our giving through our local church. We don't just go around and pass out money all the time to everybody that we want. We, we bring the money and we sit down and now we may ask the leadership, please, I want to designate for this group of people, or I want to designate it for that group of people. But you know, the hardest thing in the world to do is to give money away because it, it attracts beggars and con artists like, like oh my goodness, <laughs> it's talk about the laws of attraction. But you know, in the church, we figured out these are good people, these are not good people. And leadership has understandings and records because we deal with it every day. So it's always best to do your giving through the local church. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. In other words, this was a guy who was always going around encouraging everybody. I like Barnabases, which means son of encouragement. A Levite. Now, here's a guy who's from the tribe of Levi, a native of Cyprus. So he's not from Jerusalem. He's from Cyprus. We'll see that come out later also in Acts. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's a man who gave this huge gift, a huge sacrificial gift, 
and he brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, hey, let's help take care of the poor members of the church. Now, in these early days of the church here, you have to understand with the persecution that was coming against them, it was very hard for the Christians to survive, for their businesses, for, for to eat. I mean, there was, there was a lot of persecution that came against them there in Jerusalem. And so it's very beautiful that they helped take care of one another through this season of persecution. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Amen. Our Old Testament passage is a little longer today. So 1 Kings chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, now remember Jeroboam is the guy who's taken 10 tribes and set up all the false worship system and the two golden calves and built the temples and started a whole new religion, all right? And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it will not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam. And go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there. Now, for, for 350 or so years, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle was in Shiloh. Now, at this point, all of that is in Jerusalem, in Solomon's temple. But Shiloh was still considered a very, very spiritual place for the people of Israel. And this prophet was living there. Now, I want you to notice a truth here. Jeroboam started a whole new religion, a whole new religion. He, he did not want anybody to go to Jerusalem. He, his purpose was to separate people from the Lord and to separate people from Rehoboam. He built golden calves. He set up temples. He had his own self-called priests and ministers. He built his own festival days. He built his own doctrines. He built this whole religion. But when he had a need... He knew it didn't work. You see, people who create false religions and people who create false doctrines, they know they're not true. <laughs> they know they are not true. So when he has a challenge, his son is sick and dying, he doesn't turn to his priest that he appointed. He doesn't go to his golden calves that he built. He doesn't go to the temples that he built. He goes and finds a real prophet of God. Fascinating. The creators of false religions know they're not real. Amazing. Take, you, take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? <laughs> Some people may be blind. <coughs> Excuse me. Some people may be blind, but they can really see. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go and tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel. Now notice. I did this for you, Jeroboam. I did this. this you didn't do this. This, is, this was not of your doing. I did this. I exalted you. I made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you, 
and have made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Wow. Cast me behind your back. That's how some people treat God. Cast him behind your back. Wow. You just, after all that God had done for Jeroboam, you cast me behind your back. I took you from being a nobody and made you king. I made you leader, and you cast me behind your back. Now, brothers and sisters, one of the things that you will learn in life, as you look at how God treats people, oftentimes the people that you help the most hurt you the worst. You can meditate on that one for a while. And therefore, behold, I am about to bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung when it is gone. So, Jeroboam, you know what your family is to me? Dung. Your family is nothing but manure to me. Because of what you've done to my family, God says, your family is nothing but manure. Wow. Anyone who belongs to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. In other words, they won't even get a decent burial, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel will mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is something found pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. So that one child of the whole house of Jeroboam, there was something in that young boy's life that pleased the Lord. So he said, you know what? This curse shall not, this curse of this family shall not come upon this child. Nobody in Jeroboam's family shall be buried in the grave. Everyone shall be eaten by the dogs and eaten by the burns. But this child, this child shall have a proper burial. This child shall be honored in death. Moreover, the Lord shall raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed shaken in the water as, and root up Israel out of this good land he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord, these are idols, provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel sin. Now here's a truth that you've got to get a hold of. This is the effect of bad leadership. Leadership sins and then leads the people to sin. This is why you have to be careful what you follow. You know, a, a young man came to me one day, and, you know, he'd grown up in our church, and he was a good boy. Always had been a good boy. But then he got off into this other church and started drinking, started clubbing, got a girl pregnant. And I look, he came to me, he said, Pastor Summerall, I've made a total mess of my life. He said, my mama, she said I should talk to you. She said that you would talk to me. I said, I knew you when you were a little boy. You used to come and grab my leg, and I'd walk and carry you on my leg. He said, yeah, Pastor, I remember. I said, why did you leave? He said, well, you know, my friends. And I said, and what happened to you? 
He said, well, you know, the pastor of this church said that it's all right to drink and it's all right to club and just don't get drunk. He said, but you know, pastor, you, you get drunk pretty quick. That leader in his sin made him sin. You, you have to be careful who you follow in life. If a leader does not live a holy life, forgive me, you don't follow them. When you, you see these pictures of pastors on Facebook knocking back shooters in clubs, shoot, it's, um, it's like a small shot glass of alcohol, knocking back shooters in, in clubs and, and going to worldly concerts and, and you know, watching things on platforms you know, that you shouldn't be looking at. You know, they go to see a concert and there are girls dressed in an inappropriate way, but they're just there for the cultural value. When do you, when you start seeing pastors live like that? Leave. If pastors do not live a holy life, they sin and they will make the people to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tisra. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years. So notice that this didn't all happen overnight. God's a very patient, very merciful God, giving people time to repent. I try to tell this sometimes to businessmen because they say, well, I'm doing just fine, and I'm not doing what you say. Okay, it's not me saying it's the Bible. But you know what? After pastoring for 40 years, and you watch people fly high and then crash and burn, it sometimes takes a while. Because God's merciful and God's patience. Never, never, never take advantage of God's patience. 22 years, and he slept with his father. And Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Verse 21. Now Rehoboam, now we're going up to Israel, to Judah, from Israel to Judah. Remember this split now. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Now this is Jerusalem, and this is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah, the Ammonite. All right, so she worshipped Molech, the god that burned babies alive as a sacrifice. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. Now this would be both homosexual and heterosexual. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Verse 25. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Now, just park the bus there for a minute and stop. Shishak, this, this is the guy, this is the, the king of Egypt, this is the pharaoh of Egypt. This is the guy that in chapter 11 and 12 was the friend of Solomon, sold Solomon horses and chariots. But this is also the guy that kept having all of Solomon's enemies Come and live in Egypt with him. And I told you when we looked at chapter 11 and 12, be careful of men that are your friends and friends of your enemies. 
<laughs> now you're going to see why. The same guy that was Solomon's friend, Judah's friend, and the friend of their enemies, now look at what he does. He came up against Jerusalem, and the king took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. All that gold from Solomon's time. And the treasures of the king's house, all that gold from Solomon's time. And he took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam had made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard. Now, isn't that interesting? You don't want to admit all your wealth has been stolen from you. So you make something that looks similar. Now we have shields of bronze. You know, whenever you turn away from God, you lose the best things and you get the cheap replacements. Now, now there's a principle you just got to get a hold of. Oh, beloved, there is, there are consequences. There are consequences for turning away from God. Rehoboam lost all the gold and he replaces it with bronze. You lose all the wonderful things that God gives and they get replaced with the cheap imitations. So, so sad. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. Now, the rest of the acts of Rehoboam, I mean, that is just so sad. I mean, please forgive me. That is just so sad. All those years of wealth, it's all gone now. It's all gone. All the splendor of the house of God, all, it's all gone. All the splendor that Solomon built, it's all gone. And instead, cheap imitations. Verse 30, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Yeah, kept weakening both of them so others could attack. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, now we're going back to Israel. Okay, not Judah. We're going back to Israel. So we're going back to the northern area. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. All right, so Judah is the southern part. Israel is the northern part. His mother's name was Maaka, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Now, just stop. And I'm, you're going to begin to notice a pattern here through the rest of kings. You're going to see the kings that walked in the sins of their fathers and the kings that, kings that walked in the pattern of David. I don't believe in generational curses because when we're born again, everything becomes new. I believe in generational promises, but not generational curses. But I do want you to notice that there is a culture that is passed on within a family. And when sons act like their fathers and their uncles and their grandfathers, 
they reap the same consequences as their grandfathers, as their uncles, as their fathers. So you're going to continually see walk in the sins that his father, and not in the life of David, okay? So let's read that again, verse 3. And he walked in all the sins of his fathers, and did before him, and all, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him, and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him in all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I want you to notice, David had one aberration of sin in his life. Now, it was a big one. But David had one, bah, okay? But these other guys, they just lived wrong. Okay, David lived for God and had one stupid season. These other guys might have one nice season, like Solomon had two encounters with God, but they never lived for God. And the key there is the heart. David had a heart that was wholly devoted to God. But the other thing I want you to notice, and again, we're, we're going to keep seeing this throughout Kings, for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of my servant David. You see, because David was with God in heaven. And God was looking at David, remembering all the promises he made to David, and remembering all the heart that David had shown on this earth. God keeps his promises. For the sake, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, so Israel to the north, Judah and Benjamin to the south, all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. Verse 9. In the twentieth year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. So Judah and Benjamin in the south were now under King Asa. Jeroboam is still the king of the northern part, with the ten tribes of Israel. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. So he's one of the longer reigning kings. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. Okay. He may not have done right in the eyes of men, but he did right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. So, okay, he, he followed the pattern of David's life. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land. So he removed all these, you know, bisexual cult prostitutes and removed all the idols that his father had made. Wow. He tore down all the idols his own father had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Ashereth. And Asha cut down her image and burned it in the brook at Kedron. Now, notice, here is a young man who put God before family. I'm not going to live like my daddy lived, 
and I'm not going to tolerate my mama doing what's wrong. I'm going to live right, and I'm going to lead this nation right. Now, at some point, this is real leadership. You put what God says first above every other relationship in life. Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Now, did you hear that? All his days. All his days. This, you wonder why he ruled for 41 years? His heart was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. No more bronze, silver and gold. Verse 16, and there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Now, Baasha is the son of Jeroboam. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go in or out to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that were left of the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tambermon, the son of Hizion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ijon, Dan, Abba Beth Macha and Chinneroth, all the land with all the land of Naphtali. Now that's the northern part of Israel. You've been with us, those of you who come to Israel, you've been with us to Dan. This was the area that was captured, that northern territory. And when Baasha heard it, he stopped building Ramah, he lived in Tizra. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. None was exempt. And they carried away all the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mitzpah. Now, why did he want to move all of that? Because you don't want somebody to come and pick up where they left off. You know, when God gives you a victory, you have to learn, don't leave the building blocks of disaster laying there, okay? Never live, leave the building blocks of your destruction laying there for somebody to pick up. You've got to learn to clean things up. Now the rest of the acts of Asa with, and all his might and all he did and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Now, the, the southern area, Judah and Benjamin, has a new king named Jehoshaphat. Verse 25. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. These are the ten northern tribes. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Now again, bad leadership causes people to sin. Baasha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. Now here's Baasa coming up. 
And Baasha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. For Nadab and all of Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And as soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. <laughs> he wiped out anybody else who had a legitimate claim to the throne. He left to the house of Jeroboam no one that breathed until he had destroyed it according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. It was for the sins of Bre it was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned, and that he made Israel to sin, and because of that anger to which he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Now, sometimes reading through some of this is tedious, I know. But did you notice all these beautiful truths that you begin to come out? Be careful who you follow because leaders can cause you to sin. Beautiful truths on the effects of bad leadership. Beautiful truths on, you know, you don't want to be close to somebody who's good friends of all your enemies because one day they'll turn and strip you of what you have. Putting God before family relationships. When you don't follow God, you lose the gold and you get the cheap imitations of bronze. False religion People create false religions, know they're not real. When they have a need, they turn back to the truth that they know. People who put God behind their backs, wow, tremendous truths. So I, I share all of this with you because I know reading through some of this is tedious, but there's tremendous truth to learn. All right, I'm going to go preach the first, first parking lot service, drive-in church at COP. We'll do it again tomorrow morning at 7.30. Now, it's already fully booked for tomorrow morning. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll be back in main services, at least at 50% capacity. So we'll be excited about that. We'll see you tonight. Tonight is musical night. So we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.